let's try it. But it's really long. What, what do you think is going to happen if we do a long one? I don't know. I just maybe it's hard for a listener to like remember what's all happened in the poem. It's their fault. Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Poetry, the podcast where me and you try to talk about poetry. Okay, go. Poetry time. <laughs> Let's hear it, Yuki. All, right. All right. So today we are reading Self-Help for Fellow Refugees, another poem from Leong Li, who we love here. Yeah, eventually uh, we'll stop talking about his poems. and We will read other poems, but not today. Right, right. So today we're digging into another poem by one of our favorite poets here, Leong Li, called Self-Help for Fellow Refugees, and it's from his 2008 collection, Behind My Eyes. In our first episode, we shared a general biography on Li, so please check that out. But in preface to this specific poem, we wanted to learn a bit more about his experience as a refugee. His family background is pretty wild, and political insecurity seems to be a bit of a family inheritance. His mother's grandfather was Yuan Shikai, who was the first president of the People's Republic of China. So this is the guy who ended the whole Chinese imperial dynasty system. Yuan Shikai doesn't directly play into Li's experience as a refugee, but I think it does give us a sense of the elite family background that would later make his family a target of persecution. Li Yongli's father, Li Guoyuan, was the personal physician to Chairman Mao Zedong. But after a falling out with Mao, the elder Li fled with his family to Indonesia, where Li Yong was later born in 1957. In addition to being a foreigner from China, the elder Li was also a Christian and a professor of English, philosophy, and medicine, all of which brought him under scrutiny and eventually arrest by the Sukarno government in Indonesia. Leong Li alludes to his father's 19-month detention and torture in the poem we're discussing today, Self-Help for Fellow Refugees. In a 2008 interview, he shares that, When I was a child, I felt like there was death all around me, in a good and bad way. Neighbors were being hauled off and executed. While we were traveling, we would hear news of close people we loved that had died at the hands of Sukarno and Mao Zedong. But also because my father was in pretty bad health, his death was always there, very present, and it became a source of mystery and anxiety for me, even a source of richness. In 1959, when the elder Lee was being transferred to a new prison, he was able to escape. For the next several years, Lee's family lived as political fugitives in Singapore, Japan, Malaysia, Hong Kong, and ultimately settled in Pennsylvania and the United States. Self-Help for Fellow Refugees by Leong Li. If your name suggests a country where bells might have been used for entertainment or to announce the entrances and exits of the seasons or the birthdays of gods and demons, it's probably best to dress in plain clothes when you arrive in the United States and try not to talk too loud. 
If you happen to have watched armed men beat and drag your father out the front door of your house and into the back of an idling truck before your mother jerked you from the threshold and buried your face in her skirt folds, try not to judge your mother too harshly. Don't ask her what she thought she was doing, turning a child's eyes away from history and toward that place all human aching starts. And if you meet someone in your adopted country and think you see in the other's face an open sky, some promise of a new beginning, it probably means you're standing too far. Or if you think you read in the other as in a book whose first and last pages are missing, the story of your own birthplace, a country twice erased, once by fire, once by forgetfulness, it probably means you're standing too close. In any case, Try not to let another carry the burden of your own nostalgia or hope. And if you're one of those whose left side of the face doesn't match the right, it might be a clue looking the other way was a habit your predecessors found useful for survival. Don't lament not being beautiful. Get used to seeing while not seeing. Get busy remembering while forgetting. Dying to live while not wanting to go on. Very likely your ancestors decorated their bells of every shape and size with elaborate calendars and diagrams of distant star systems, but with no maps for scattered descendants. And I bet you can't say what language your father spoke when he shouted to your mother from the back of the truck, let the boy see. Maybe it wasn't the language you used at home. Maybe it was a forbidden language. Or maybe there was too much screaming and weeping and the noise of guns in the streets. It doesn't matter. What matters is this, the kingdom of heaven is good, but heaven on earth is better. Thinking is good, but living is better. Alone in your favorite chair with a book you enjoy is fine, but spooning is even better. I love that. Spooning. I love spooning. <laughs> that was a good reading. Thank you. It was very, I read it very differently from other poems of his that I've read. How, how did you, how do you feel like you read it differently? I felt like it had like a fun spring to it. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like a sarcastic voice a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe because, you know, he's talking about some like really hard things next to some like more, more lighthearted things, you know, that you would say to someone who is also new to a country. Yeah, I yeah. feel like the other poems that I've read have been have had this like very moody, kind of gauzy vibe. But this one but felt this, a little bit more direct. Yeah, this is like, I mean, it's a guide. Yeah, it is. It's more direct. He's just saying, this is what you do. Yeah. I like I liked it a lot. Well, so one thing I really um I resonated a lot as like an immigrant, you know, mm -hmm. like these are the kinds of things that I feel like immigrants say to each other and recognize in each other. Um mm -hmm. but there's this like heightened layer of he's like you know he didn't immigrate by choice like you know he mm -hmm. was a refugee um and so there's a lot of trauma associated with mm -hmm. the leaving what what specifically did you feel like you you were able to relate to you know when he kind of talks about like there are some customs that you might have that are very very foreign or very like just very different from your new country's customs and so you know it's kind of suggesting that it it's good that you have those but like if you 
don't want to get looked at a certain way, <laughs> you know, try to be even plainer than plain, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's not even about fitting in. It's kind of like disappearing um, yeah. almost because Survival. like even, yeah, just like even being, right? Even if you're not like flaunting yourself or your culture or your history, like you're still going to stand out. So like, if you really want to get by, like you should try to not even exist, <laughs> you know, like, cause just, just existing is going to draw attention to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's where the, the, the sarcastic tone that you were picking up on in your reading is coming from. Yeah. That sense that sur- surviving is a matter of disappearing, which mm-hmm. is not really, that isn't really an option, not in, not in any real way, not in any way that's like actually conducive to living. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I was, I was thinking about was like, you know, like, cause when we moved to, when our family moved to Nashville, there were like no Japanese people there. And I was like, oh, I wonder to what degree we did that. Right. Because like being in community with other Japanese people wasn't really an option, um, except for like Saturdays when we go to Saturday school. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I think, yeah, it, like you said, it's not really possible to really disappear um, because like we're, we were so obviously different, you know, there were probably like four Asian kids in our entire school the whole time we went to school. Um, mm-hmm. So like, to what degree did we try to assimilate and to what degree did we just try to not exist, you know, like not take up space? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Do you feel like there was a turning point where you decided you weren't going to do one or both of those things? You weren't going to try to assimilate or you weren't going to try to not take up space? You know, I don't think I really thought about it as a kid because like, one, it wasn't like a conversation that I think people had. Um, but also like I came as a really young child, right? So I never, I don't feel like I had that choice to make, you know, rationally. Like Lee only came to the US as a young adult, right? He was also a kid, but he was he was older than you. You were you were like like four or five, I was like right? A baby. I was, oh, you were I was a baby. Like a month old. Yeah. Oh, I okay. I thought you, but okay, but you lived in Japan for like when you were like six or something like that. I like went back to visit, just like oh, for okay. a summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I'm second generation, but like when my dad, my dad immigrated from Nigeria in the seventies, and it's it's definitely different from from being a refugee, like you like you said, not just because he had a choice, but because he came with different sorts of expectations and he came as an adult he already had a degree so it's just it's a it's a different experience but he really wanted to assimilate in a way that i that i feel like i guess it's not really clear to me in this poem if leong lee wanted to assimilate but he seems to rightfully resent the ways in which he's being asked to not be himself or being forced to not be himself Whereas yeah. my dad, and I think for a lot of um, for a lot of immigrants, particularly of that time, who had this kind of like outsized perception of what America was going to be like, they really wanted to assimilate. They, they they really wanted to be not just like that. They wanted to disappear or be unseen. They wanted to be like transformed into something that was different mm. from where they came from. And so, like my dad, when he was growing up in Nigeria, he thought. <laughs> 
I mean, this really sucks, but like he thought that the streets in America were paved with gold, you know? And so he came to the United States. And so he ended up in, in fucking Cookville, Tennessee of all places, which is, you know, the streets were not paved with gold. <laughs> and, you know, can you imagine the disappointment of someone who was like, you know, for better or worse, has had this perception of America in his mind since, you know, forever. And then, you know, you get here and it's just like, Ugh, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And he really, and, and I think like a lot of immigrants, he had this like internal sense that like, you don't want to be at the bottom. You don't want to like start from the bottom in whatever the hierarchy is. And in America, that hierarchy, like the, the racial hierarchy is with black people at the bottom and white people at the top. And so a lot of immigrants, even if they are black immigrants, like my dad will try to assimilate into a kind in, into aspects of like the dominant culture that don't that either like don't want black people in it or don't i don't know it just like doesn't really work and so he would have us doing things like we went to white churches with my dad we didn't go to white churches with my mom but like we went to white churches that weren't really uncomfortable for me like they were they were like not places that i wanted to be he, you know, he lived in all white suburbs. We did not, but he did, you know, like he wanted to be, again, I think he wanted to be transformed by like American culture some way so that he could live out that dream of being in, in a place with, you know, where the streets are paved with gold and you have everything you want and everyone, you know, treats you well and you don't have to be at the bottom of any sort of hierarchy, even in, whether it's in America or like the global hierarchy where, you know, Africans are also not valued and so it's like a really, like the thing that really strikes me about that is how different that is from this experience where it's like, it, it's not so much of a willingness to give up, you know, the parts of you that are, that mark you as different. It's just like, this is what I have to do and I'm tired of getting gawked at. So I guess I'll do it. Whereas like with my dad, and I think, and I think with a lot of immigrants of his generation, it was like, like an excitement about it, you know, like they were being converted or something. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying, like in the poem, like th that resentment that you mentioned, like, this is what you got to do, but it's kind of silly and sucks. Um, yeah. It's also interesting what you were saying about your dad and, you know, like wanting to be transformed into what was, it, it still is the dominant culture here. Um, but I know you mentioned before that you know, he was part of like the Nigerian association and things like that. So mm -hmm. how do you think that kind of that nostalgia, like, you know, he talks about like reading in another person, you know, some things from home or what are those two stanzas? And if you meet someone in your adopted country and think you see in the other's face an open sky, some promise of a new beginning, it probably means you're standing too far. Or if you think you read in the other as in a book whose first and last pages are missing, the story of your own birthplace, a country twice erased, once by fire, once by forgetfulness. It probably means you're standing too close. Mm. So maybe the first stanza is somewhat reflective of your what you were describing in your dad, right? This is this new beginning, and we're gonna we're we're both here. We're gonna like do this together. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the second one, it's like people who. You're like, you're seeing in them someone who has had your exact same experience, but that's just not the case. Like every, everyone's had their own journey 
here. And so if you think that your stories are too similar, you're going to like misstep. Hmm. So uh, th- those I thought were like the most enigmatic stanzas of the poem. And I, I don't know if I read that second stanza. I don't know if I read that in the same way. I think I, I read that as not necessarily being about someone's story being similar, but a- about like about seeing yourself reflected in someone who's not actually reflecting that back at you. Like you're, you're like, like he's imposing this, this, like he's trying to seek his origins in someone who has never actually said that they have the origins that he's looking for. That's how I, that's how I read it. Not that, not that their story is so similar, but that he's looking for something that they can't possibly offer. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would agree. I I think that um, we are actually reading it pretty similarly. Um, Okay. And, but maybe with the added, what you added is that that person isn't able to reflect back what they think that they're seeing which Mm -hmm. is a mirror of themselves yeah Um, when you were talking it made me think about my parents like uh, you know they they left japan because they didn't fit in but like once they came here i think after they had kids they were like oh for our children's sake or maybe just because they so they won't be the only japanese people that you know their children know let's you know join this community of Japanese people and I think that there was a part of them that really missed Japan and missed Japanese people and speaking Japanese and you know everything else that comes with Japanese culture but I often felt in them like a really strong sense of disappointment because (laughs) they would be in community with these Japanese people and they would be like oh these are not my people like you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like we're both Japanese and like we share like this similar cultural heritage. Yeah. But like, you know, some of the things like so my mother used to teach, um, she was like a volunteer teacher at the Japanese school, and she speaks in Osaka dialect. And she told me one time that the principal was like, it's inappropriate for you to be teaching in the Osaka dialect. Like you need to be teaching the standard dialect. And my mom mm. was just like, all these people. <laughs> And so, you know, it's like, so like maybe that's what that second stanza is like bringing up for me. It's like, you know, my parents going to these people thinking, okay, we're going to find a sense of community, people who have left Japan and are trying to pursue some kind of new opportunity here in the U.S. But then when we go and like try to connect with them, like we're so disappointed because we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two thoughts. One, I did not realize you're parents were like the misfits of japan <laughs> um my, my second thought about what you were saying um is that like you said we would go to um these uh, association meetings for our particular ethnic group all of the people in that group as far as i could tell from when i was a kid they all kind of seem to approach the idea of being a, a nigerian in america very similarly to my dad which is that like, this is a place to come to achieve so that you can transcend whatever bullshit people are putting on you. And I, I kind of got the sense that like, well, okay, for a little bit of background, all of these people, like people in my dad's generation were taught in post-colonial schools that the culture that they had before the British was evil and demonic and primitive and shitty and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people still feel that way. And to a certain extent, my dad felt that way. And so there are certain aspects of the culture that, like, not just my dad, but Nigerians of a certain age just felt really ashamed about. And mm. I don't think that they should have been. 
but they felt that way. And I understand why they felt that way. And so there was like a kind of different relationship to immigration because of that, because they're, they're, they're kind of coming from this place of like, like a little bit of a sense of like cultural inferiority for some people, but then also a sense that like, you can beat it. Like it, like you can, you can beat the white man at the white man's game. And like, that was like, kind of like implied, like that's kind of how you get your worth, you know? And I think a lot of immigrants to the U S kind of come with an attitude kind of similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one reason why we both feel like we can relate to this poem, even if our families didn't come here as refugees, is that it's in that what you were saying about suppression and minimization. Those are things that I think, you know, both of our families grappled with, um, even if it wasn't to the same degree or, you know, for the same reasons, you know, like my parents didn't really have to like push away thoughts of like violence or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something like that that they had to minimize um, to kind of get by in their day-to-day life. But on a smaller scale, I think that they did experience that. And my sisters experienced that, I'm sure. And I I think I probably did too. I just like didn't have as good of a, a starting point to compare it to, you know? Something else occurred to me that, that make that, Marxist as being different from people who immigrate willingly, which is this this line where he says, um, where he says, try not to talk too loud. That's kind of what reminded me that a lot of people who immigrate willingly have like a sense of like what the rules are and how to play by them, like already, mm-hmm. and can often be a little bit resentful of people who don't play by those rules. It's like, I had to do it. Why don't you have to do it? You know, I have mm-hmm. to minimize myself then, you know, like you you definitely need to do it, which is why, you you know, like there are immigrants to the U.S. who will vote against, you know, immigration reform and like, you know, stuff like that, because they feel that everyone, everyone needs to do it the way I did it. And if they don't do it the way I did it, then they're not doing it right. Which, you know, it's kind of that thing that happens sometimes where I don't know if you ever get this, but I get this sometimes with older women where they kind of so scared (laughs) no just like sometimes you get you you encounter someone older and it's not frequent to to be clear but like every now and again i'll encounter someone who i don't know you just kind of get a sense that they resent that you're a little bit more free than they got to be like the rules Mm -hmm. of society have changed and you get to do a little bit more than what they got to do and they kind of hate you for it and you're just like I didn't oppress you. Like I didn't do this to you. Some of some of what I get from certain kinds of people who have immigrated is that kind of sentiment that like you need to do it the right way. And the right way is assimilating into the dominant culture, following the dominant culture culture's rules, not challenging it. You don't have the you don't have the the authority to challenge it. Um, being grateful for what you've been given and not asking for more. And if you come over and you're kind of willing to do that and you see people who aren't willing to do that, then you, then sometimes people will get resentful. And this, Mm. this reads as someone who came to this country and did not know, did not expect that that's what he would have to do, but then learned that along the way and was sort of like shamed into being a, being a particular way. I think and, like in his heart, he still doesn't believe it. You know, he's like, no, definitely not. Yeah. 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 It is. I mean, it's resentful and it's sarcastic because yeah, like he's like, you shouldn't have to be quiet. 
You but. shouldn't have to be quiet. I mean, when my dad, I mean, this is, okay, for listeners at home, Nigerian father, black mother. My dad told my mom one time, he was like, black Americans are so loud. And it was just like, just like the audacity of a Nigerian to call somebody loud, you know, like just, just like, just this sense of like, well, I can't be loud. So you all also can't be loud. It's just like, it's okay. It's okay. Just be loud. And, you know, there, there is like, your culture is too loud. It's too colorful. It's too, it's too vibrant. It's too bright. You know, there's too many bells <laughs> announcing the entrances <laughs> and exits of the seasons, you know, and the birthdays of the gods. It's, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. And I, yeah, I get the sense that like in saying, try not to talk too loud. He's saying, talk loud if you want to. Like in the, the, the sarcasm, he's like a little bit like, you know, this is what I did. But what I learned is that there are other things besides minimizing yourself. There are other things besides trying to trying to fit into a culture that is um, does not even really want you in it. You know, there are, there are other things. And whether I mean, I guess like it's not it's not necessarily about be loud. It's like do what you want. Be loud if yeah. you want to, you know. I love that's the way this that we're both reading this because yeah. I think someone else could read it as like instructions but we're reading as like sarcastic instructions. <laughs> well, I, I I guess because it's so it's so wistful for like a sense of like rootedness which which I definitely relate to that. I think that he is, you know, he, there's a lot of trauma associated with where he you know, his his home country. Yes. But there's still like a lot of love and reverence associated mm-hmm. with his home country too. Um, so I read those lines where, you know, he does talk about the vibrancy and the beauty of his home country and his home culture. And I don't get the sense that he truly wants to minimize it at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's part of it, like, because he's, because he's so candid about the trauma of not just what he experienced as, uh, in his home countries, um, but also the trauma of having to minimize yourself. That it's, it's hard for, it would be hard for me to read it any other way besides sarcastic. Because, like, once you include all of that, like, that, that range of experience, then it's like, well, he's not telling you to ignore all of that range of experience. Of course not, you know. Yeah. So another thing, too, that I really liked was the way he talked about his mom. Um, mm. uh, try not to judge your mother too harshly. Because that also really spoke to me in terms of like what our parents, the, the things they had to do and the things that they thought were the right things to do in particular circumstances that like we did not have to be in, you know? And like there is a real, not just like a, a, like a sense of forgiveness, but a sense of, under, of genuine understanding that like his parents were in a world that was, that was very different from his and had to make choices that he would never have to make. And like, I think that that can get lost, not just in terms of through the process of immigration or, or, you know, being first generation versus second generation or something, but also just generations period, um, that our parents have to make choices that we will never know anything about. And that it's not, it's not useful to pretend that they got things perfect. It's also not useful to judge them for things that we would never, that we'll never have to go through, you know? And I, I really liked that. It actually reminded me. Have you seen Encanto? Have you seen that? Yes. 
Yes. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Disney movies these days are like, what happened? They're like, they're, they're so nuanced and like gripping emotionally. Um, Yeah. I think so. Like, you know, we, I think we both had our initial, you know, we related to this poem because um, of our parents, you know, immigrant past. But I think a lot of people to that specific point can relate to this poem too. You know, like our parents and our grandparents, like they made choices and in like that split second, they made some choice either to protect themselves or to protect their kids. And, you know, you can disagree with that choice, but you can't judge them for that choice. You know, like they were just doing the best they could. You never really know. And it's not really fair to, to put the burden of like what could have been on your parents or, or it's, or not that it's not fair, but it's not fair to like hold them hostage to that. And I think what's interesting a little bit about what he's saying with his mom is that he, this is a choice that I think that his mother made in like trying to turn him away from something that, that was violent that I think a lot of people like, it's, it's not even like a choice that's like, that is necessarily wrong or obviously wrong. This is a choice that probably most parents would make. I don't want Mm -hmm. my child to see their father being brutally beaten, you know? Yeah. And he, as an adult, feels differently, you know? But I bet if he had seen it, he would be writing the poem differently. Like, what did she think she was doing? Letting me (laughs) turn my, turn a child's eyes to history like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Parents. 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 They just don't (laughs) understand. Um, (laughs) Okay, can I can I say another part that I that I really 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 like? Yes. Okay. It is the last three stanzas. So you said that you really liked the last stanza that it made you chuckle. Well, the last yes. three stanzas I'm going to read out because I I really like them a lot. It doesn't matter. What matters is this: the kingdom of heaven is good, but heaven on earth is better. Thinking is good, but living is better. Alone in your favorite chair with a book you enjoy is fine, but spooning is even better. I love that. I because I feel it. like that's that's where I am right now. Like I'm I'm discovering this right now. And he's put it so beautifully. Tell me more. Okay, I'll tell you more. So I'll just take it line by line. I love the idea of an afterlife where you get to experience paradise or whatever it is that heaven is supposed to be. What I don't like about that idea is that it often takes people away from like what is to be done on earth right now. And every, it can kind of make people feel as though the material world is inconsequential. And I think he's being serious in his assessment. This is good, but the life you have now in creating heaven on earth now is even better. Um, and then that also makes me kind of recall trading for heaven where he has sort of created a heaven on earth with his partner you know and then the the next stanza thinking is good but living is better that's where i am right now (laughs) because i've kind of lived a life where my experience is always has has been filtered filtered through like mental processes and it's it's very rarely an embodied experience for me and so i like the idea that like he has been on a similar trajectory where he has had to learn this for himself and and then I mean, and then the last stanza is also, I mean, it's a similar thing. These are all things that they're all enjoyable, but that like, you know, life is better lived in connection with other people and in, in genuine connection with other people. And, and 
I'm someone who is, uh, I'm a loner, I think. Maybe not by nature, but by, by habit. And I do really well by myself up until I don't. And then I go crazy because of, you know, like when I was in grad school, I would often be by myself for like weeks at a time. And then, you know, after a few weeks, I'd be like, oh no, I've become weird again. I need to like try and reintegrate into society and it becomes harder (laughs) because I've just like been on my own, just like in my head for like weeks. And, and I like that. I like that I can be alone for a long time. I like that I can keep myself busy and interested. But then when I encounter someone else after a long period like that, however much I've enjoyed that time and we're talking or laughing or whatever it is, it is like you know, finding a pool of water in the desert or something, you know? And it's not that my experience alone was bad. It's just that it, like, this experience with this other person is so much richer in a way that, like, my experience alone is not. And both are good, and I need both, but that one of them is decidedly better, (laughs) you know? And I I think I didn't want to admit that to myself. I wanted to be really self-sufficient. Okay, I have a a question, like, you know, when you're explaining your connection to those last three stanzas it made me wonder because it it feels like content wise and tone wise it's like a pretty big shift from everything that comes before yeah why do you think that he ended the poem this way I don't really know I mean I was thinking about that too because it is such a departure I can I can project my own experience onto this but like this to me reads as someone who is like kind of going through like assessing where he has been in life and why he has been in a particular position or or have why he is the way he is like Mm -hmm. what are the events that make up the person that he is and he is doing honest reflection and self-assessment about the, the events that shaped him in his life and i think that once you're able to assess like accurately how you ended up in the place that you are then you can kind of release it to a certain extent. You don't release the yeah. events, you don't like forget them, but you're, they, you can release the hold that they have over you and yeah. move on to the things that really make life worth living. I mean, he has experienced all of this violence and displacement and loss and, you know, feelings of being alien in the places that are his home, you know? And, and these are, because all of the things that he's talking about these are all kinds of things that keep you from connection. You know, these are all things that like keep you from that, that like that traumatize you and, and make you withdraw into yourself so that you can't really connect authentically. Um, You're constantly trying to be someone for someone else. You're trying to be the good immigrant. And he is lacking that the kind of like rootedness that allows him to be himself. Like in order to be yourself, you have to, feel like who you are is okay you know and if you're constantly getting messages that who you are is not okay then you can't be yourself and you can't connect authentically and so I think once that you have assessed that then you can release it and move on to the things that actually allow you to come into the world fully and really live fully that's my that's my best guess and that's like 100% projection (laughs) based on (laughs) my experiences do you have other comments or thoughts? I really appreciated, uh, even if it was a projection, <laughs> your explanation of like, you know, how he came to that conclusion in the last three stanzas. And 
I like that message of you have to kind of be at peace with your history and not let it have a hold over you. If I understood what you were saying correctly yeah. uh, and not let other people's expectations of you keep you from living a full and authentic life. Um, and I think that's a message that everyone can relate to in some way. Even yeah. if they haven't experienced what this person's experienced. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that the experience of just being told you are too much as you are and you need to like rein it in, in whatever context, I, I think, yeah, most people have experienced something like that. Um, what I think is interesting is the way that that intersects with his like feelings of, of or this lack of rootedness. That was a great selection. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I great. did it. It was me. Um, okay. Well. We did it. We did it. And this was Poetry. Leon Lee's biography was compiled from NPR and the Free Library. All links will be available in the show notes. Our music is from Less FM. For questions, comments, concerns, or if you have a poem you'd like for us to discuss, hit us up at wepoetried at gmail.com. That's we.poe.tried at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See y'all next time.